Business Matters in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. If you're a senior manager in the private sector looking to reinforce your leadership skills, ATU are offering a Level 9 Executive MBS in Leadership and Innovation. Call 9186206 or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie. I'm Kieran O'Donnell. You're welcome to Business Matters. My guest this week is the owner of TC Promotions based on Ironmore Island, Thomas Costello. A native of Ironmore, Thomas began his DJing career as a 14-year-old in Smuggler's Nightclub. After a number of years working in construction, which took him to London, Limerick and Dublin, Thomas returned to Donegal and set up TC Promotions in 2012. He was the director of the Merriam Dunlow Festival in 2013 and has been entertainment manager at the Pulse and Buru nightclubs in Erikenny since 2015. In 2020, Thomas added Marquee Hire to his company's list of services. Thomas, you are very welcome to Business Matters. Good evening, Kieran. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Thomas, when we were talking off air before we began recording, uh, you were telling me you were just uh, back from Balmoral and promoting all things good uh, from Armour End. Yeah, I was up there this last two days, Kieran. A uh, fantastic uh, event. Uh, thousands of people there. Uh, footfall was unreal. Uh, I was up, um, I suppose, promoting everything good that Armour has to offer, and we have an awful lot to offer in Armour End. And uh, I was promoting uh, various other things as well, other festivals that I'm involved with. So, yeah, very, very good show. And I would have loved to have, have stayed for the next two days because it runs for four days. And uh, I was part of uh, Donegal Tourism that, that's up there flying the flag for Donegal. But uh, I had to come back because of a festival starting on Ironmore Island tomorrow. Thomas, you're a native uh, of the island, so can you take me back uh, to your early days and growing up there, what was it like? Yeah, um, yeah, I was born and bred in uh, Ironmore Island, I was born in 1976, uh, I suppose I remember back to <laughs> four or five, I suppose, going to national school and uh, it was a much different island back then, uh, but a fantastic place to, uh, as a young child to grow up and still is a fantastic place, but back then I suppose, like everywhere in the world, it was a lot simpler here, um, great memories going to national school and uh, the teachers and post the summer seemed to be so long back then. Um, you thought when you got your summer holidays it was never going to end. Uh, as post the years go by, then as, uh, as the years clock up, every ten years the time seems to go that much faster here. What was the population approximately at that stage when you were growing up on the island, Thomas? It would have been between somewhere between a thousand and, and twelve hundred. I do believe um, from research that the population on Armore Island probably drops about ten percent every census. So it's it's probably a worrying enough factor, I suppose. That way, um, we, we have an aging population. Uh, a lot of people, I suppose. As life went on, got, went to third level education, maybe the the traditional way of living on the island with a bit of farming and a bit of bit of fishing. The fishing, the post injuries is, is on its knees for the smaller boats anyways. Um, I know it's a struggle for bigger boats too, but even for the smaller boats. Um, I suppose people moved on in life, they don't do the fishing anymore, they don't go to England to the tunnels anymore, they, they relocate, I suppose, to the world. We're, we're like every other place in Ireland and uh, we're all around the world, aren't we? DJing was your, I suppose, your first passion and your first job. Can you tell me how all that came around, Thomas? Yeah, just, I suppose there was always music in the house. Me, me, me late father was always big into the music and I always had a fascination with the, growing up with the records and, and, and the tapes and, and even the eight tracks. What will he been playing in the house at this stage? Oh, country music, Big Tom and Margot and Philomena Begley and Larry Cunningham and all that stuff. And I suppose that's, you know, I, I, I have a great love of all music, but I suppose... 
the one that most stands out. I, I like the old country music at heart, and it's always the it's always the probably number one. I suppose, Kieran, you know. So, in terms of the DJing, uh, was it country music you were spinning, or, yeah. or or something a wee bit different? No, when it started off, it's it's, it's kind of funny the way it started off. I, I suppose I remember going to the youth club disco. I was very young and, and smugglers nightclub in Armore Island. I suppose twelve or thirteen years of age, and there was a, there was a guy there that's actually based out in Chicago now, uh, a boy called Philip Neal. He was the DJ at the time, and he was probably. Uh, maybe three or four years older than me, and uh, I was fascinated with these um, with these double these double record players. There were the Citronic doubles. There was there were two together, and I, I was fascinated then the, the different speeds for the the thirty threes and the forty fives, and to get the to get her lined up on track. And I was just I was just mesmerised by this whole thing right away. And uh, after a couple of teenage discos, then you know I used, he would be kind of showing me the ropes, and. Um, I suppose then when the summertime would come round, a guy that used to would have been involved with the setup of Highland Radio used to come out a guy called Derek O'Connor and uh, learned so much from Derek and all you know this, and his time he used to come out then maybe once every fortnight to DJ in the summer and, and smugglers and eventually then you know the, the thing would move on maybe Philip would Philip Neil would be off on a teenage disco and you would get to stand in and like that first that first gig was just talk to me about the first gig <laughs> um, it's just hard to describe I suppose you know I post the big songs so would have been in the in the charts back then the bigger bands at the time I suppose was going really well would have been the likes of Erasure and Roxette um, probably later on after that then the likes of the big remember that big summer then I think it was maybe about 92, 93 would have been Rhythm as a Dancer do you remember that one here? I do <laughs> We're showing a race now, but believe it or not, you know, there's nights there that stuff still goes down a blast. Still goes down a blast. And does that take you back to your first oh, date on the on the disc? T- takes me takes me right back, you know. And I remember like, you know, at the time then the, the, the changeover, um there was a guy that was working in Dublin, in fact he's still up there, James O'Donnelly worked in Dublin on the gas and he used to take all the records down from from Abbey Discs in Dublin. And we were able to get stuff, you know, that was couldn't be got here in Little Kenny. Of course, the music centre wasn't at the Kenny that time. It was also in Balbuffet. Um, you could order the stuff in, but we, I used to get the stuff down really fast in Dublin. We had all these import remixes then that nobody else would have, and it was just a, it was just a great year. And I still have, I still have all that. And I remember during lockdown. I remember during lockdown going to the attic and taking down. I, I, I have, I have one of them double Citronic uh, double record players and taking it down and. Uh, Great sport out of it through the old collection. Great. We back to memory lane. Back, back, just knocking twenty five, thirty years off your life, going back, you know. And it was great. And uh, it's post that was one thing about lockdown, we got to do stuff then that we didn't that we might never have got to you know, you know that we all have these jobs, we're gonna do them, we'll get round to them sometime, but it never happens. Thomas, you were roughly fourteen, uh, when you had your first DJ uh, experience in Smugglers Nightclub. Um few years later you became sort of more of a freelance uh, yeah, I suppose like you know, I, I end up taking up the position. Then I remember Philip, that Philip Boyle I speak about, a great friend of mine in Chicago. He emigrated to Chicago. He's still there since. Um, I kind of took over the role then as the full time DJ and smugglers, and uh, the whole thing then just kind of evolved from that. You know, it was uh, DJ and was it? And um, I, I remember then, you know, the CD, the CD players were coming into into full swing then. Big the change, wasn't it? It was a big change. Was, things were a lot, so much handier and I know I suppose at the time I remember thinking that's probably maybe around 93, 94 it's never going to get any better than this year with the thing and there was a lot of chat then about mini discs but the mini discs never caught on but when I look back now you know you'd be coming to a gig and you'd be carrying a fair amount of stuff with you as in you know even if you were going to a venue that had gear there 
um, you'd be carrying all these boxes of CDs and you look back now and you're walking with a laptop and a USB pen and you have, you have everything like I became you know I could have maybe 100,000 songs for a gig now but it was at the time you were carrying all these boxes of CDs just going back to that very first date what was the pay packet? Back then, uh, at the time, it was an awful lot of money. When I look back at it now, uh, John Boyle's Smuggler's Nightclub, it was uh, £25. Nice money for a 14-year-old? It was nice money. You wouldn't know what to do with it. So, at that particular stage, Thomas, did you sort of make a conscious decision that this was uh, the role that you were destined to do, or did you look around and start doing other things? I, I, I stayed at that. I was doing for a right while, you know, and... Um, Tradition are more, you know, then of, you know, people kind of head off to England to work on the tunnels. Um, you know, there's so many guys from from Armour involved with all the big tunnel jobs all over the world. You know, the Channel Tunnel, um, stuff for that there, and it was a low a lot of people went into that line of work. And I suppose I had the hunger then for the bigger money, you know. And I still remember, I still remember leaving Armour. You know, I think it was maybe ninety four, ninety five, heading for London. I went to work on the Jubilee Line to London. Massive change, leaving Ironmore Island um, to go and do that. Was it a tradition that lured you across, or was it what Nagin experience that took you across, or a bit of both? I think it was. I think it was looking for the big money <laughs> in search of the money. That's what it was about. And I remember going over and uh, how good was the money, Thomas? That was brilliant. At the t- like, it's you know, the guys chat about you know the tunnel. There's still a lot of people in the tunnel work and the chat about. Money and they're making big money in the tunnel, but back then in '94, '95, '96, um, once you got your your foot on the door, um, it was good money. If you know, I would I worked I would have worked in compressed air. Um, it was traditionally twelve-hour shifts, uh, continental shifts, six and threes. You'd have six on, uh, three off. But that's you know, if you're there, you're in compressed air. It could be down as little as eight hours a day. Um, I mean, we, we were doing a job in the in down London Bridge for a company called Taylor Woodrow. Um, if if everything was going well, like you could you could maybe come out that time back in eighty five, eighty six, with twelve, thirteen hundred pounds during a week, which is a lot of money. And did you miss the DJ at that stage? Did I, I used to come, come home then? Holidays, you'd be trying to get an odd gig in it, but it wasn't about the money. It was for the it was for the love of the music, for the love of the music, and that you're still trying to keep your foot in the door, you know. Um, just in relation to going away. Um, were you homesick? Did you miss home? Did you get home often? Or were you quite happy to go away and experience a whole new world? I remember going away in, I remember going away in September. The first time I went away, I think it was away in September time. And I actually done my last gig on the Saturday night and I left on the Sunday. Um, I remember going away and, you know, remember John in the nightclub said, ah, you might can go, you know, we'll be back next Saturday night. And, but I went anyways and I went away in September and I, I never came back till that Christmas time. But I wasn't meant to come back to Christmas time. I was working for a, for probably probably one of the biggest contractors in the UK now. He's actually former and more a guy called Josie Gallagher. Um, and I was working for him. But then I applied for another job with that Taylor Woodrow. There would be a lot of people from Ironmore working on the job there. And uh, I ran a big uh, promotion up money ways and different ways. You know, and I suppose... A lot of people like myself when you be you know should be thankful to the likes of Josie Gallagher to give us our first step to get gain, gain a bit of experience and you know see what it was all about. That time there would have been a lot of handwork in the tunnels. It was manual muck shifting with shovels and with FL twenty two jiggers knocking it and shoveling it. That's it's all done now by machinery. It's a different it's a different world now. 
Um, what was the biggest takeaway from your experience there, Thomas, and how long did you spend there? Uh, I would have spent a good enough while in England that time. Um, I would have come back then. I would have, would have done a bit of work in, in Dublin. Work, came back, moved back to Dublin then. I came home for the summer after the job finished up. I think maybe that was 90, maybe 98. Uh, spent a while then in Dublin. Um, done various tunnel jobs then in Ireland. Uh, we'd done the big job down Cork, under Park of Kiev. We'd done the Limerick main drainage. Um, I worked down Limerick then, and the Dolanport Tunnel was about to start. Myself, the main contractor on that job then, was a guy called Tommy Geller. He's still in business, great, great fellow. He's actually from Ardra. Um Me and another guy from Pettigo, from Donegal, uh, McGrorty is his name. We were actually the first two people to start at the Dolanport Tunnel, down Alfieburn Road. It was Saturday morning. I left Limerick on a Friday. I left the job in Limerick on a Friday, and I started the Dolanport Tunnel on the Saturday and the pet boss I did, the pet boss was on the job was a boy called John Nally originally from Mayo uh, living in uh, Boyle County Roscommon he's he'd be one of the main tunnel men now in the UK uh, looking after work and all that uh, I came up I would be on the job in, in Cork with him and then he was he said there's a job going in Dublin you can start Saturday morning so I left I left Tunnelcraft in Limerick and I came to Dublin on Saturday morning we started the, we were the first that was the first hole in the ground for the Dublin Port Tunnel and was there for a number of years and uh, actually ended up coming back to England then again after that but like in between it there was always an odd gig there was always a bit of music kicking in keep you sharp keep you sharp bye. Um and you know, I think I made a decision then I think my last tunneling job then was up in Port Rush and uh, we were, it was a four foot it was a four foot pipe jack um, so it was quite small work run sand but a long story short and it was end up a hernia and uh, kind of put a weird axe for when I came to con- I came to a decision then that was 2000 and maybe 2010 2011 to, you know what I just said you know what maybe move home I've had, I've had kind of yes but that was quite a, a considerable period of time mm, away at that work Thomas yeah coming and going different it was all, it was all over the place at it and um I just kind of made the decision then, you know, try for a while. I, and I suppose at the time, actually, I'll go home for a year, try this. And the whole thing then just kind of evolved, you know. I said, the love of the music was always there. And kind of re kickstart then the, the festival in Armour, and the Rose of Armour was kind of knocked on the head and kind of restarted that back up again. So, just to go back a uh, slightly, Thomas, when did you make a conscious decision to say, I've had enough of. of uh, the job I'm in now and I'm going to back, go back home again and what were your plans? I think my plans were you know just to um, buy a bit of equipment see what's going to happen and, and, and just take it on there let's see, can we, make, let's see can, we, can we make a living at this you know and were you go, going back knocking on doors that you had previously uh, gone through very easily? Um, I suppose you're always trying to you're always trying to get that step further um, I suppose I'm lucky enough now at, at my stage of the game that you're you're friendly with maybe different people in the game, you know, from a local two-piece to a, maybe the biggest band in Ireland, and, and you can chat to these guys. And I think everybody's the same story. You know, if I look back to what we spoke about before, you talk about your first gig, and I was thinking the first time I did my first gig in Smugglers, to me that was success that I'd done that gig. What do you measure success by now? You're only successful at your last gig, whether it's small or big. Um, but, you know, to finish that point, I was saying it was success. At that time, at 12 or 13 years of age, 
the fact that you could do a gig on your own for that teenage disco, that to me was success. The post the next step, I look after that then as I, you know, in that period before I went to England, I got a, I met a gentleman, he's actually the head, he was running the Mary from the Law at the time, I'm not sure of the year. He's a guy called Colin Coffey, he's actually the head of IFA in Ireland, which is the Association of Festivals, but he was the director of the Mary from Dunlow. I remember out in Dunlow one day, uh, and I says to him, what would be the chance of getting the gig? Oh, he says, what do you do? I said, I'm a DJ. He says, right. And uh, oh, he said, sure, give me your number. And I thought, no, this is not going to happen here, you know. And uh, he rang the week later. He said, there's a gig going, he says, in Dunlow. He says, but it's on the gig, Rick, he says. And so th- that time the Guinness gig, Rick, used to go around all the festivals. Do you remember? Um, I remember going out. Nerves were serious, like probably 15 or 16. You know that kind of way. And... Uh, going out and doing the gig can't, can't even remember now what band was on it's, it's a blank to me now but I'll never forget and like that's when the festival was at its height back then and you, the, the gig rigs across the street in Dunlow and you're playing you know what I mean and that to me then that was measured as success do you know what I'm saying so success is only success keeps moving success is never I suppose none of us we're always in pursuit of the next bit of success if that makes sense you say success keeps moving, and you kept moving. Mm. What was the next step when you came home? The next step when I came home, I bought a bit of equipment, and I suppose then that leads on to other things. I think, you know, when you buy equipment, I remember going over to, um, I actually remember before I left London, going into uh, cash converters. Cash converters are a big thing in England. I remember buying an amplifier, buying a mixer. Uh, I remember then going over to Reynolds or a foe and buying speakers. And I suppose at the time, I thought they were great speakers. Um, and they were grand. There was nothing wrong with them. And there was nothing wrong with them. But as you learn more and you pick up more, you're in pursuit of better equipment and better gear. And the whole thing just keeps building. So that's really then where it, it kind of it kind of started off then. Um just doing more and more events, more sorry, more and more gigs. You know, we started playing a bit then maybe around Dunlow and, you know, maybe get a gig in Donegal Town or an odd party and, and I'm just thinking Thomas that's roughly about 20 years uh, on from when you first started mm-hmm. um, was there much of a change uh, in the whole entertainment and disco field in that interim period massive massive I suppose you know there was, there was such a change in the music that time when I would have originally started you know uh You've been playing music, you know. There, you, the people would still want to hear stuff like maybe the likes of the Beatles. At, you know, the, you know, they want a lot. Of, they want to hear a lot of eighties music. Um, they want to hear what was in the charts. Um, when I came back, then the whole thing had the music scene had probably changed. There was a lot of dance music, and there was a lot of kind of maybe ravey stuff and house music. The whole thing had changed. So, if, if I'm being honest about the whole thing. Probably when I came back to that time to start back at it, I would have been definitely, and I would no doubt in my mind, was an underdog. I still am. I want to say that I still am, but I definitely was an underdog in the music game when I would have started back that time. Uh, and I suppose if I fast forward the clock to 2012-ish, which probably maybe two years on from that, um, I was very, very lucky because what happened in Ireland was the country music scene took hold big time. Nathan Carter came on the scene. 
Derek Ryan came on the scene. Lisa McHugh came on the scene. And I suppose there wasn't many DJs that had knowledge on country music. Where I was out gigging, maybe playing music that was against the grain. And also you had the experience of uh, your late father and what he was in, in, uh, playing yeah, back at home. What he was playing back at home, but I was... I suppose I was, I was secretly, that's what I was listening to myself. Even though I could be going to a gig and playing X, Y, and Z. But when I was on the way to that gig, I was listening to your Jimmy Buckley's and your Philomena Begley's and all that stuff there. So that then, I suppose, I owe a huge lot to that because I had the knowledge. Um, venues then was started, you know, oh, can you do this? Can you do that? So I was, I was able to kind of pick and choose my gigs because people wanted that type of music um, so that's really that was really then the start of another area as I would say of success and did things start small and grow steadily yeah yeah they started small and, and, and grew steadily definitely um, but I always had a great interest in, in, in sound and stuff and we'd always been trying to fix stuff or you know install stuff Um I was doing a lot, an awful lot of that there, um, but I went back then. Like I went back then. I don't know how many years it is now. I, done, I, done, I went and done a course then, and, and and done a degree then over in Fault Hill Studios to get so I, so qualified sound engineer now as well. But um, we all we all knew I knew how to do it, but never had any qualifications because I left school early and that kind of stuff but that's the only time I went back to school or went back and done something I suppose after that and did that give you a new sense of confidence Thomas? it did yeah because you know I've, and I, I suppose it's one of the regrets I, I suppose if, you know, we all have regrets in life we do we definitely but that's probably one of the biggest ones for me that I had left that I didn't you know I'd done my junior cert and left and I'd ever probably stuck it out and I remember um, God rest he, he died last year the, the master in the school at this, in Libgarren High School Johnny Bonner would be saying you know he'd be saying to me mother and father you know if that man would knuckle down and, but sure it was what it was and the school's not for everybody I know that but at the same time I think it's no harm to give it that couple of years to try and you know what you can dig out of it so when did you decide to set up uh, TC Promotions? Yeah, well, I, I suppose then we started, when we were out in the road, we were getting to know more and more people in the game. Um, that was a big part of it. So I was then approached about, you know, run different festivals, ran a lot of smaller festivals. As I said, ran, started back the Rose of Iron Moor and different festivals. And then I was approached about running the Maiden Alone 2013. And there we will take a break. Business Matters, in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. Are you a senior manager in the private sector looking to reinforce your leadership skills? ATU are offering their upcoming Level 9 Executive MBS in Leadership and Innovation, based around action learning. Take the next step in your career and contact the Exec Ed Coordinator on 9186206 today or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie. You're welcome back to Business Matters. Before the break, Thomas recalled being approached to run the Mary from the Low Festival back in 2013. So I took on that role there, um, and uh, yeah, it was it, that was that was a big big task, um, big big task, and a, uh, you know a, uh, a lot a lot of work, and there's so much to it. You know, did it surprise you the, the amount of work that was involved, Thomas? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a different kind of work. So I, I, as I say, from my time working in the tunnels and different things, 
you know, the, I'd done loads of manual work, and but that's a different kind of work. Um, the manual work is easy compared to that kind of work. That's, but I would still say that about a lot of things. Manual work is you know if there's whatever to be done, you can do it. But when it comes down to organising stuff and paperwork and have everything right, it has to be right. And was it one year you were in charge? Well, I'd done that for one year, yeah, 2013. Um, the workload then, I was that busy then doing gigging with stuff. Uh, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been physically possible to take it on. Now I don't. <laughs> Maybe they didn't want me back, anyways. But as I say, it wouldn't have been possible for me to take on that role for another year. Um, I was also involved then with Armour Country Fest, which started in two thousand and eleven, two thousand and twelve, which started small, um, which was set up t- to extend the tourism season in Armore Island. I suppose that's maybe where a lot of it stemmed out of then as well. So, if you look at Ardmore tourism season this last 10 years, or back 10 years, what, traditionally what we had is, we have the Irish College on the island, which is vital, Manasarily, runs two courses of three weeks, where 300 students come to the island to learn Irish. Um, so we had them six weeks. The traditional holidays then for anybody that's away from home, the English guys and girls is away, they would come home for the first two weeks in August. So come the 14th of August, Armour was back to winter mode. So that's how we started up. We said we'd extend this by a weekend. I know that's so how we started off and we had seven or eight bands out the first year. We had music in all the pubs and it was grand and people were saying, ah, you know, it's, it's grand, but it'll never last. Like, it, that's, that won't keep going. And But here we are. 11 or 12 years later it's still and still going how are things uh, on, on and more at the minute um, do we get a sense that things are on the upward trajectory again um, I don't know We there's been an awful lot of money pumped into Armour Island we have, we have some of the stuff we have is fantastic like we've got great great um, connect, connection to the mainland it's fantastic Um all the facilities we have is great. Like we have the holiday homes there. Um, we have that big project that happened on the shorefront there, the promenade. Um, it's brilliant. We have, we're just about to launch the blueways, which is which is going to be huge for us. But I would feel that a lot of it's probably too late because our population is is is, is low. Um, there'll always be people in Ireland more, I think, but it's more of a place to come back and retire, holidays. But we're never going to get the influx of people coming back to live, if that makes sense to you. Um, like, yeah, you can have great internet, but everybody can't have a job online. And Burtonport is on the rise as well. Burtonport's on the rise. Um, a lot of work done in Burtonport and a lot more to do, but it's definitely, you know, it's 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 coming around the right way as well because I suppose it was neglected after the fishing industry dried up. But it's coming the right way now, and it's, it's got a whole lot to offer. And there's a lot of new business starting there as well now. So it's it's good to see that. Thomas, in late 2021, uh, you decided to expand into the marquee rental sector. Can you talk to me a wee bit about that? Yeah, the marquee business, we our festivals were going to get bigger and bigger. And uh, I was, I used to hire at the, I used to, the venues unfortunately got too small in Armour to host the events. So I then thought, well, let's hire a marquee. 
so much more to that too. It sounds like, oh, let's just hire and go for it. But it's not that simple. Um, if you're going to do that, you, there's so many people has to be involved with a marquee. Like you've got the fire officer, you've got your courts, you get licensing. So I suppose we just tried to see how it went and we at the time like somebody says to me and you know back before I bought my own we were hiring them I was in get an event management plan and said where do I start an event management plan but you sat and you work it out and I suppose I'm very lucky to have my brother helping me out Frankie that's massive help wouldn't be able to wouldn't be able to run TC Motion wouldn't even run without him so we're in a position now where we do the event management plans and we help other people do theirs throughout the place so yeah we we, we decided then in, in, in 2020 that we were going to try and get our own um, COVID was we all know about COVID and COVID was a rough time in, in the in the entertainment business um, I know it was for everybody but it was particularly um, I found it very hard when it, when it did kick in that March I had a thing called the Rebel Fest starting on the 31st of March COVID kicked in we were in lockdown I think it was on the f- 13th, 14th of March, whatever. Um, people had deposits paid, had stuff booked, people paid. Um, obviously, everybody had to get their money back. Um, but some of the stuff we had paid out for insurance, different stuff was. So it was a really challenging time, uh, both financially and mentally. How did you spend uh, the time during lockdown, Thomas? I told you, I took down the record player from the attic. <laughs> ah, it was grand. You hey. must have listened to some tunes. <laughs> I know. Um, um, well, I'm involved. I, was, I say I'm involved. I'm a entertainment manager in the Pulse and the Voodoo here. I work for Mark Cross in there and at the Kenny. And, um, How does that come about? How did that come about? came about from doing gigs. Um, came from doing gigs at the Kenny. And... Uh, just then Mark asked me one time about uh, oh you might do a gig in the Pulse that country music seems popular and you might do a gig for me and I went and done one I suppose it's back again that was something else unreal that you go in and do a gig play country music in the Pulse from 11 o'clock at night till half two in the morning people are loving it you were never shy about stepping up you mentioned earlier about going uh, to the person that was head of the festival organisation here nicely and, and asking is that half the battle is it I think you have to push it forward, and I might, you know, people think, "Oh, how can you do that?" But sometimes you have to if you want. I think it's easier to just go and ask than to wonder. So, I suppose the worst thing that happens to me is say no. But so it just can evolve. From I remember doing a gig, and um, he said we might do another one next month. So I said that's good enough, you know. That he wants me. That was I think two thousand and it was two thousand and fifteen. So it went then from doing one a month. Could you do every second weekend? More or less then, maybe, whatever you can do after that. And I'm sure there's a lot of time involved in that, Thomas. Ah, there is, yeah. That, that's when I was just doing the gig, so then I can involve then, which can I, I say no a lot of the bands, I can start booking the bands, and um, went on then, the same to, with, with with the voodoo then, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of to and fro, and like everybody else, bands can... Bands, you know, you could have a band book for the Saturday night, and God forbid if there's five in the band, and you know something happens, one of them, or there's a something happens at home and they can't come. So you're you could be in the deep end. You get a replacement, or same with DJs or with anybody. So you have to have a good 
a good you have a good diary with plenty of phone numbers and plenty of people to call and as opposed to making thing is giving the punters what they want to hear because every night like what works on a Friday night mightn't work on a Sunday night or works on a Thursday night mightn't work on a Monday night have you found uh, the entertainment industry somewhat different to it was pre-COVID definitely yeah uh, I know some of those great great bands that used to travel to the Kenny from down the country. We'd also have band from down the country at least once a week. Um, I think what happened then is that people don't want to travel. A lot of bands didn't come even back to the scene. A lot of them come back, aren't interested in doing the three or four nights a week. They have got jobs, whether it's an Aldi or Little, or doing a school run, they've got their bus license. So many people have left this industry. Um, has that, uh, in turn, made your job somewhat more difficult? 100%. 100%. Um, guys definitely don't want to travel. They don't want to, 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 uh, they don't want to do as many gigs they're doing. They've, you know, they've found they can do it less and they're probably right. We could maybe all take a lesson on that, but plus we're all trying to push on the best we can and be as successful as we can. And if you have a job to do, you have to do it. Just in relation to your, uh, marquee, mm. uh, side of the business, there's more than just buying the tent, as you say. Yeah, I thought, you know, we'd just say, oh, we'll buy a tent. It'd be great. Um, I was very lucky enough. Um, I had help from Leader. Um, Leader helped me with the tent itself. Uh, and the person from Leader told me it was the fastest project ever passed by Leader, not only in Donegal, but in the whole of Ireland. The paperwork was, he said, was second to none. That must must have given you some sense of satisfaction, Thomas. It did, yeah. But I suppose maybe a lot of that credit has to go to my brother. You know, I might be the front of the business, but there's help in the background. Is he in control at the nervous centre? <laughs> he, he he looks after a lot of the logistics because it, the wheel is that big. It'd be impossible to keep the whole thing going yourself. Um, so that's that's good. That's it's good that I have that help at home. And I suppose if you had, if you know. To put it on a scale, it'd be very hard to put it on a scale. But um, is he your go-to person if there's a something that needs sorted out? Ah, well, yeah, he would. Um, and listen, we fall out, we fall in, but uh, <laughs> there wouldn't be much going between us, anyways. Tell me, Thomas, what is the best lesson that you've learned so far in your business life? I suppose the best lesson um, so far is that you're only as good, really, as your last gig or your last job. Um, as I say, we were talking about the tent there. I, as I say, I thought, you know, oh, once the marquee comes, that's it. I'm home and dry. It was only the start of it. Because I soon realised then that the tent was only the tent. There was the electrical end of it. There was the storage end of it. There was the transportation end of it. And the big one, which is a massive for any business, especially in Ireland since Brexit, is insurance. Since Brexit came into Ireland, there's only one company in Ireland now that'll insure an event. But before this, if you were on an event, you could get your insurance out of the UK. There's a company in, in, in Milton Keynes in the UK called All, um, All Event, and they could give the proper insurance, six and a half million cover. Everything was great at a reasonable money, affordable money. Where now, the sky's the limit, because there's one company they can they could quote you for insurance for an event now in Ireland. So that's that is a worry at times. And like even last week, there my insurance up for renewal, and you're you're swallowing hard 
what's it going to be? Um, I extended. I, I I say I bought the tent, and then I shouldn't realise and all. Yeah, it's a good. It's a fine sized tent, but I says this tent isn't big enough to host a wedding. I want to get weddings back in Ironmore Island, so I extended the tent. Since I, I, I got my tent, the original tent on the 6th of May. What size was that? That tent then was 24 metres in length. Um, I extended it then to 30 metres in October last year. And then I went uh, three weeks ago and bought a smaller uh, service tent to put on her. So the smaller tent now goes on the side of her where it's a service area for a bar and for catering that's joined on to the big tent so it's the business has grown the the, the investment in the business has grown massive what can the 30 metre uh, tent length hold depends on the event if you're going to seat it if it's stand concert uh, what staging you put in um, it depends on a lot, a lot of things, but we can hold we can hold a very large event. Well, max capacity. What are you talking about? Uh, probably max capacity. We, we would be able to cater for maybe seven, eight hundred people, which is a lot of people. Um, when we're set up properly, there we can we can uh, we could cater probably for maybe up to two twenty, maybe for a wedding, sit down wedding, comfortably. Um, and that's a huge boost to the economy on Iron Moor. Huge, it's massive. Um, I wanted to make it a way that this event, this this business could be set up somewhere or winter. So I, I went and invested strongly this year then as well in a heating system. Um, so that's a massive plus that this tent could be used in winter time if need be. Um, and the, the tents come, they have other events. The tent is, this business is not just for Iron Moor. This business for everywhere. Like it was, I've, I've actually had my first event um, on the mainland with it there at Easter. Glenard, who is Glenard Plant from the Kenny here, was 30 years in business and, you know, they were very good to trust me to run their event for them. So the tent made its way to, to Kenny here, to Tara Court, was set up in the yard. Um, feedback I got from that priceless so uh, it's a great opportunity to showcase what you have it's a great opportunity to showcase what I had and it was it was all done with the proper everything was done proper with emergency lighting everything that needs to be like you get a lot of times where the stuff you know if you're not going for event licenses or alcohol licenses anything will do but my motto with this here is do it right safety first protect your insurance protect your clients protect yourself um, so that that was a great that was a great opportunity to showcase. Now it wasn't that that was set up in a way maybe to cater for four hundred people. So it was good, but it it gave me an insight of what lays ahead of me this year. So like I have Iron More Island on this weekend now, um, which will be good. But once that event's over, Tuesday and Wednesday, I need to get that tent down. And head for Dunlow because I'm involved with. A, I've started another festival in Dunlow now with um, with Keith Neary, the manager of um, the Bridge in Dunlow. We're on a thing called Town Fest on the June Bank Holiday weekend, which is massive. We're running over three days and f- sorry, four days and three nights. Um, Are shorter festivals the way to go long term, Thomas? One hundred percent. The days of the the days of three uh, the days of anything over three days is too long. Uh, people don't have the money to spend. 
the way life has changed so much in, in, in 20 years. Um, okay, the roasterly international market, different. But once you start running over a weekend, the money's not there for that anymore. And the people, I don't think the people want that anymore. I think we, like, as we all get older in life, sometimes less is more. So I would say, yeah, two, three days is enough for any event. So that's June. That's, you know, that's just into June. Um, we're pushing off. We're going up across the border. Then we've taken on a, we're involved with a GA club up in Derry Gonley. So we're running a festival up there now with the GA in Derry Gonley in, in July. And then we're back to the low for the for the mountain and low with the tent up again, and then it's back to Ironmore for the country fest. And we have two weddings in the tent within six days of one another, which is great for the island. The fact that there's weddings happening back on the end again. One of them is uh, a couple that's come from the UK. The mother and father, the bride's originally from the island. She wants to get married on the island, which is fantastic. And the other couple is a lady from Galway. And the gentleman is from Armour Island. They're living in Boston. So they're coming back for their wedding as well. So the fact that there's two weddings happening within six days, to me, is, is a massive plus for the island. Thomas, what advice would you give your 21-year-old self? 21-year-old <laughs> self? Um, probably schooling. If, you, if you're at school, try and maybe stick it out for a while. It's a couple of years, yeah. But it does no harm. Um, does I say back to the regret? I was probably sorry. Then maybe stick out the the books for a while longer. Don't me no harm going to England doing what I done. And I would never rule it out. I would never rule out that someday it might come. Okay, you'd like to think now that we won't, but you never you never know when you'll you'll have to you'll have to maybe pack the bag again because nobody knows what's around the corner. Um, I suppose I'm lucky enough that there's so many strands in my business, as in the Marquis, the DJing, um, my work here in the Kenny and the Pulse and the Voodoo. But, you know, I'd be involved with other places there that I book a lot of stuff for through the country, for venues in Mayo and Leitrim and Kerrigan Shannon. And I was actually out doing a bit of work out in Switzerland last year as well, with Irish bars out in Switzerland, and it's always looking for racks as well. But you never just know what's around the corner here. So. I think just maybe try and live, you know, for the for the day and the week that you're in, and don't be. But we're always think we always are rushing ahead because I'm thinking you no, know, I'm thinking now of the weekend. And I know on the weekends we're always thinking about Townfest on Low, and then I know we'll be thinking about the Donegal Rally. So you're always just leading from one event to another event. Does that if that makes sense? So it does in my head, but it, maybe it, it it doesn't to the listener. Just going back to your early days on the island, mm. when you were running around the island and going to school there, what were you aspiring to be? That's a good question. That's a very good question. I think we all might have these ideas, you know, we'd like to have a big interest in, in cars and that, and we might like to think, you know, oh, we'd maybe like to be a mechanic or something, and ah, let's we'll mess about with them, and we'll do, maybe do a bit of service or do this, but, you know, I don't think we'd ever be... The Formula One, there'll be no Formula One team looking for us anyways to to do the work. But um, yeah, I suppose really, it's really I always wanted to be involved maybe with cars and stuff. But there was obviously a, a big, big love there for music. You know, I think there's something about there's something about music. You know, and happy times and even in sad times. You know, I think even music can it can maybe it can do a lot. It's, it's a good it's a good medicine. Music, even in a bad time. 
because Lois a song or something Lois relates to something that's the way I see it anyways tell me what is playing on your playlist at the minute in the van outside uh, on the playlist in the van I think I have a USB stuck on it and it's probably something between the Whistling Donkeys Philomena Bagley or else Jimmy Buckley <laughs> have you a favourite band or a favourite track uh, I suppose well I suppose my signature tune at the end that most gigs now most gigs would be uh, last song of the night would be Jimmy Buckley thank god I'm a country boy most gigs now depend but most gigs that one goes down a storm it's a live version and it goes down well and have you a favourite artist or band yeah I'd be big and say I'd be, I'd be a big uh, I'd be a big fan of the Hudson Donkeys there now I know it's, it's not country but I say from the country end of it it would be Jimmy Buckley and Philomena Begley and then we down the other route, it'll be the, it'll be the uh, Western Donkeys. Great guys. And just going back to the very, very start, can you recall the very first record that you played on the first night of your DJing? I can. It was uh, Brian Adams, the summer of 69. Remember, like it was yesterday. I had mine winding her back and the headphones on just to get her right and the crackling. And... Uh, those times then, you know, if it wasn't right, um, if, if, it was, if the needle was really jumpy, we used to rest, rest the old uh, 2p coin in the top of her to keep her steady. And talking of <laughs> keeping her steady, Thomas, <laughs> what does the future hold for yourself and your business? Um, I suppose we'll just, we're going to keep going now. Um, I suppose we're getting to the stage of life now where I would probably need to be cutting back a bit on the gigging end of it. Um, like I'm very, very busy, a very, very busy diary and I do an awful lot of wins as well I do a lot of travel in the UK with bands um, so I'll probably maybe try and cut back a bit on the gigging because we're we're not getting any younger and I think maybe more events more stuff with the marquee but um, that's going to be the way it's going to be we're, we are we are and we always say every year we're going to do a bit less I often say to my partner you know what maybe doing a bit less and putting maybe more free time but it just doesn't seem to happen there's always something you're always in pursuit of something and uh, I think you have to do your best at what you do and most of all try not to nobody there Thomas Coslow owner of TC Promotions thanks for taking the time to talk to us on Business Matters thanks Kieran well that's our lot for this edition of Business Matters Thanks to my guest, Thomas Costello. Thanks to Kenneth Wilson on sound. And thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with the programme, drop an email to businessmatters at highlandradio.com. Business Matters, in association with the ATU Donegal Faculty of Business. If you're a senior manager in the private sector looking to reinforce your leadership skills, ATU are offering a Level 9 Executive MBS in Leadership and Innovation. Call 918-6206 or email donald.hannigan at atu.ie.